And when I pray, I don't believe in the Santa Claus theory of prayer. In other words, Lord, give me a new Mercedes Benz. I need a new job. Help me with my grades. Uh, take away this pain. Cure me. Don't let my 95-year-old grandma die. I mean, all these kind of prayers that we pray. Prayers asking. We treat God, the divine, as we do St. Nicholas, Santa Claus. Yeah. Instead of going to God and saying, I love you. I want nothing. And that means not even going into meditation because you're seeking peace, harmony, joy, health, enlightenment, all beautiful things. But if you're seeking them, you're seeking things. You're losing part of that and you're separating yourself from the divine source. Hello, this is Dr. Edith Ubuntu-Chan. Welcome to The Dr. E Show, a show exploring the frontiers of our human possibilities in areas like health and wellness, science and spirituality, quantum biology, and conscious living, so that together we can awaken the best of ourselves and create our most joyful and fulfilling lives. Many of us in this community have strong inner feelings that there must be more to life than meets the eye. On some level, we all know that this apparent 3D physical reality is just one layer amidst infinite realms of possibilities. But let's be honest, unless we've had direct personal experiences through like near-death experiences or mystical experiences, some of this stuff kind of sound like fantasy or new agey wishful thinking. Or in the realm of quantum physics, the idea of consciousness interacting with our physical reality sounds like nice abstract models that are fun to philosophize about. But it doesn't feel real until we've had our own direct personal experiences with the mystical. Well, today we have the most special treat <laughs> ever in the next hour. I can't promise you that you will have a direct mystical experience, but we get to meet a real life human being whose life of 70 plus years, how many, 73? 73. 73 years has been filled with one mystical experience after another. And yet he is practical and solidly anchored in the physical world with two feet on the earth. And that's something I'm so excited to talk about, that, that balance. He has written about his many spiritually transformative experiences and NDEs, including his tour of duty during the Vietnam War. Yes, his autobiography, Warrior, A Spiritual Odyssey, that one, takes us on a life quest for love and understanding, forgiveness, and enlightenment. His second book, Alchemy of a Warrior's Heart, thank you, beautiful cover. Yeah. Hand model, next lifetime. <laughs> Continues that mystical journey, including four trips to India, filled with profound experiences with holy men, miracles, and his personal relationship with the divine. Today, he shares that what he knows as the one and only true thing is love. Besides being a beautiful author, an award-winning poet, a motivational speaker, artist, film director. He's also a veteran who has won the Distinguished Flying Cross, Bronze Star, Purple Heart, 
14 air medals and more. He has spoken all around the world in different countries and been involved in over a dozen films, interviewed on over 800 radio and TV shows over the last 18 years. So please help me in welcoming the author of Warrior, A Spiritual Odyssey and Alchemy of the Heart, the one and only Reverend Bill McDonald. Thank you. I think there's only just one of me. So thank God for that. <laughs> One's enough. It's Thank such a huge honor. I feel so blessed to have this precious gift of an hour to spend with you to learn as much as I can from you. Well, before we start off, because everybody comes on the show plugging themselves, I want to make a quick, quick plug here for this is one of the best books on health. I was going to say diet, but it's mostly health, spiritual, mental, and physical. Yeah. I kind of summarize it. Super Wellness is a great title. By the way, for the people that, that are my friends and followers, I recommend this book. I, I, I read it for the second time going through it. Uh, the principles in there are solid, and I was practicing all of that, discovering it on my own, but you know how great discoveries are when somebody vents a light bulb, there's people all around the world at the same time yes. discovering it the same way, right? Yes. And so we're kind of on that now. The last couple of decades, people are getting back to not something new, but I think we're going back to something old. Yes. So the old is new. Yeah. And you're right at the, at the front door of that. And I'm, I'm impressed with a couple of things. Number one, I'm impressed by the fact that you had this career in, in the valley there with all the computer stuff and the engineering mind. And then you did what you wanted to do instead of what you were told to do or, you know, economically the way to go. You chose a field where your heart was at, which I think is the key to life. And um, so following the heart, that's a big, big piece of your book there. That could have been the title too, following your heart, because that's so all about wellness. Because I found that uh, when I'm dealing with people, especially mental illness and physical illness, which seem to follow hand in hand, yeah. there's always spiritual illness. That's when your spiritual life is out of balance, the mental and the physical go with it. And so people going out there looking for a fix with a pill, with an operation, you know, with a treatment, it's the whole package. You got to take care of you. And if you're not taking care of the spiritual, mental, and the physical, and you're only focusing on one, you're set for failure. Part of your system's going to fail. Anyway, that's just a little point. Thank you so much for the kind words. And honestly, that physical well-being, my experience is that it's, we think that we should clean up our diets or move our bodies in order to know, look better in the skinny jeans or um, avoid a heart attack or stroke or diabetes. But actually, those are kind of like side prizes. Really cleaning up our bodies allow that spiritual energy to move through our lives more effectively. You know, allow that clear communication with spirit. That's, that's what I've discovered as really the true gift of taking better care of your health. Well, you've seen it every day. People come into you and you listen to Because I got people coming to me. I'm not a medical doctor of any kind. I don't take care of the physical. But people come to me for the spiritual health mm -hmm. and emotional. And I found just after listening to somebody because. It's like when you get somebody come in, you listen to them first, right? You check the pulse, you check. I basically read them and listen to them. And, 
and the people that think of themselves as victims, life is out to get them, whatever can go wrong will go wrong, uh, everything's stacked against them, they're losers, uh, you know, they were treated badly, they remember pain from 20 years ago, like it happened yesterday. Those people are going to have problems in this moment. They've taken all that, they've never unloaded any of it, and they're carrying that with them. It's like they're never moving forward. They're not falling forward. They're not going forward. So uh, part of my work with veterans in particular, uh, because I kind of started off decades ago, you know, I've just always been helping veterans because I'm a veteran, but I always wanted to get in with the new age group. You know, I got to be with the new agers and all stuff. But the new agers weren't so kind to veterans. They've had this attitude that, you know, if you're a warrior, then you can't truly be a spiritual person, although they don't remember about St. Francis of Assisi being a warrior and a POW and St. Ignatius of Loyola and Arjuna and Krishna telling him, go fight his brothers because it was his duty. So there's thousands of examples through history where the warrior took on dharma, duty, took on a task and uh, it helped evolve things and change things. So you can't sit back and just judge people by you know, what uniform they wear or don't wear. And everybody's different. So I've been on this crusade and I was, I kept it, I started to ignore my vets a little bit thinking, oh, you know, I really want to get, I want to be, I want to be a part of this group over And everything kept coming back to vets. And one day I kind of woke up back a couple of years ago, you know what? Nobody's doing anything for the vets like I am. I mean, they ain't kind of a new age guy that loves them. That's a veteran, right? And so they're mine. And if nobody else wants them, great. Nobody's beating down the door to take over what I'm doing. I mean, there's some born again Christian groups, bless them. They're doing some out there and they're helping their people and they're, they're different religious groups doing things, but treating the spiritual overall interfaith health of all. Yes. Um, I'm it. And I have to admit that it's a, it's a task that's huge. And so what I've been doing, and there's this dog tag I'm wearing, which says, I am love, by the way, that's what it says. It says, I am love. And then in Latin, in Latin, it says, love conquers all. And then it says, spirit warrior, a chaplain. I give these to people that are helping veterans. Wow. And I make them a, you're, you're now a chaplain of love. Go out there, help people, right? But I put on there, I am love. Because when I spent time with Dr. Emoto, I traveled around Arizona with them. And we went to, to a water conference that the Navajos and the Pueblo Indians tribes wow. were going on in Flagstaff. And he was a guest speaker there. And I was, we were shuffling him around events. And I learned a lot. And I, and I looked at, I don't know if your audience, your audience is probably familiar, but other people may not be familiar with the work that he's done with the water crystals, showing that when you put love on a bottle of water, how it affects that bottle of water's crystals. They're beautiful. And they put hate on there. So I thought, my body is, what, 70% or more water, mm. right? Now, if I hang a tag around my neck that's, especially if it's touching my skin, it says, I love, I am love. Too many people say, I'm a loser. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I, I'm, I'm whatever it is. Be really, really careful. Whatever you attach to the word I am. Very powerful. I think our cells of our very bodies react to it. So that's why I put, I am love on the tag. People say, what, what do you mean? I am love. No, you are love. Right. And love conquers all. That's all you need to know. So I have a question back to the new agey spiritual people 
shunning veterans and war because they don't, they don't want to deal with that. Tell us what we should all be learning. Like, what are the gifts of being fully fearless and engaged with the energy of war? What is there that we're missing out on by running away from it? War, first off, all of us are students in life. And, I, and I've said this before in a couple of talks that people get a little learning in their mind and they think they're the teacher. They're the guru. They're the master. They're the karate expert. Whatever it is, and everybody, they're, they're talking down. And they've turned off this whole message that they are also forever a student. Your child teaches you every day. Your patients come in, you learn something from them. Because you're a listener, you learn, you feel. You, you, and when you really want to change and evolve, you have to listen to the environment around you, meaning the people, nature, animals, everything around you. You got to absorb that pureness, that energy, that love. And to move forward, one has to realize that number one, it's not about you, but it's about the one. And since we're all the one, then it's counter, I'm counter uh, saying the same thing. I'm saying it's not about you, but it is really about you because it's about everyone. And we're all one. So if you're out there and you're trying to do things from the ego point of view, and you're trying to do things to make money and to get, the, to get, to get, to get, to be seen, to become famous, to whatever it is that's on your agenda, it's not the path that's going to bring peace. Ultimately, the path that brings peace is giving, not getting. Otherwise, the richest guy in the room would be the most happy. And that's not always true. In fact, maybe not at all. So it's about listening <laughs> and not talking so much. It's about being there for others, understanding others, and not going around trying to be understood. So if you start off life every morning, I start off life, I start my morning off. I, I say start off life. When I, when I think about morning, I'm starting off life because I kind of feel that every day I'm reborn. It's like when you go to sleep, you're dead. You're, you're in that realm, you know, and you come back, you wake up. You can't just jump up and turn on the TV, have a cigarette, a cup of coffee, you know, the traffic bumper to bumper in the Bay Area. No. If you get up early, and I mean the, the best time of day to really get up is that three o'clock to four o'clock time. And by the time 3.40, 3 3.45, just before four o'clock, there's a great pull of energy for me. Uh, that's the time I meditate. And not only do I meditate and pray, and when I pray, I don't believe in the Santa Claus theory of prayer. In other words, Lord, give me a new Mercedes Benz. I need a new job. Help me with my grades. Uh, take away this pain. Cure me. Don't let my 95-year-old grandma die. I mean, all these kind of prayers that we pray. Prayers asking. We treat God, the divine, as we do St. Nicholas, Santa Claus. Yeah. Instead of going to God and saying, I love you. I want nothing. And that means not even going into meditation because you're seeking peace, harmony, joy, health, 
enlightenment, all beautiful things. But if you're seeking them, you're seeking things. You're losing part of that and you're separating yourself from the divine source. So when I go into meditation, it's not so much focus on technique and the mantras. I mean, you get carried away. Mm-hmm. I get people that ask me, they get a chance to ask me a question or they go to some gurus. I've, I know some really great gurus like Yoga Raj and, and people come to them with all these questions. And they always ask about technique, you know, Kriya Yoga, I got to, how do I visualize this? How do I do this? How do I do Surya Yoga? How do I do Habsa technique? And instead of just sitting in reverence and picking up the radiation, the radiation, is, I call it spiritual radiation from the divine uh, spiritual master. He is one I know for sure that you get that. When you're there, you feel him. You don't have to ask him anything. And if you spend all your time, because I know people meditating 20, 30 years doing the great meditations, and you look at their lives and you go, if they're still fighting husband and wife, their kids aren't talking to them, they're, they're, they're having job problems or you know social problems, you go, what part of living the meditation daily have you lost? And the meditation daily is about love for God. Whether God is Jesus or Buddha or Krishna, it makes no difference. God doesn't care what name you call him. If you just call him the force, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I try to tell my Christian friends, my fellow Christians, you know, I tell them, I, I had these people in the church go, oh, I go, I go, statement. I go, Jesus wasn't a Christian. And they all go, oh my gosh. I go, no, he wasn't a Christian. I mean, come on. Buddha wasn't a Buddhist. So, Give me a break, right? There's, there's no passport on the other side when you get there that's stamped. Okay, oh, you're Buddhist. Not, you know, then, uh, oh, you're Baptist? Okay, Catholic? Man, we'll think about you. You stand over here in purgatory for a while. I mean, it ain't going to happen. It's who did you love? Not who loved you, because that could be influenced by gifts, greed, what people want, you know. A lot of things. You can't control people love you because sometimes, like being a parent, your kid will tell you when your kid gets older, I hate you, mommy. I hate you, daddy. Right? Because you've disciplined them, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean nothing. So it's, it's doing the right things and loving people from the heart and not expecting anything in return. Trust me, you never get disappointed because a lot of people you're going to love, you're never going to get anything back from. But that's not why you do it. You love them because you see God in them and you see yourself in them. Therefore, loving them is loving yourself. I mean, it's a win-win. So whatever you give out, you truly do get back. And I mean that. I mean that on the individual basis. Like you, know, you send out hate and anger. You, you're just going to magnify it from somebody else. And people know when you're gossiping about them, people know that you're, you're saying bad things or thinking bad things about the people. You, you just sense that somebody's not your friend. Something's going on, even though you didn't hear it first. You know. But the good thing is, when you love people secretly from a distance, people know. They feel somebody loves me. And it has an effect on them. And loving people doesn't mean go around hugging everybody and saying, I love you, I love you. No, it's, it's here. It's truly wishing the best for people. And most people, and I mean most, because I've seen this. I've known about 12 people win a lotto. I don't know if that's a lot for one person to know, but I know about 12 people that win a lotto. Okay? 
anything from a million dollars, seven million, and one two hundred and some million. People are jealous. It's like instead of being happy for them, my God, somebody I knew got it. I am so happy they got it. Right? It's like, why isn't it me? What's so special about them? Why isn't it me? Instead of rejoicing in their joy. So when you have a real friend, a real true friend that I value most especially is somebody that goes, good job, Bill. I'm proud of you. You did, you did something good. You know, they're happy for you. And I'm telling you, that's a rare thing. But it has to start with us, those people that are spiritual influencers, consider themselves some kind of teacher or, or some kind of position. Just by how you treat people, that's how you're teaching people to react to life. So if they see you giving and loving, it's like a disease, a good disease. It spreads, right? Contagious. So, yeah. yeah, so whatever the question was, that's where I went with it. But the bottom line is this. It's all about giving love and service. I used to think there was two things in life, to love and to serve. And now I've narrowed it down to it's all one. It's just love. Love and service is the same thing. And it's a natural thing when a child is born. Child knows love, can feel it. You know, it doesn't understand the words, but it knows love. It knows when it's being hugged and, and caressed and fed and thought well of. Child also knows anger and fear and things in other people. And I really believe that in the womb, the child feels these things as well. So yeah. it's very important when somebody's expecting to be meditating, listening to good music. I mean, they're sitting around all day listening to rap music and yelling and screaming and smoking cigarettes. You know, uh, I don't want to condemn anybody for it, but I'm just saying that think about there's studies out there, and you would know, and I wouldn't, that show that they're listening. They're listening to that music. They're listening to the words. They're picking up your feelings. So if somebody's pregnant and they're, and they're depressed and they're angry, that affects the state of the mind of that child coming into the world. So you owe it to that new, new soul coming in there to give them a red carpet. You know, bring them in. Joy and happiness. So now, I credit of rap music, though. When I was um, pregnant with my first boy, I listened to a lot of happy rap music from the 90s before it got all gangster. So, and he's a very happy boy. So yeah, not all rap music can be bad, but the, I think the consciousness that is behind the music and also the consciousness of the mother who's receiving that music in a state of fun and joy, that influences hugely. Well, actually, I'm glad that you clarified that because when I'm talking about rap music, I, like I listened to, who's was the guy, Will, whatever his name is? Will Smith. Will Smith. Yes. Is he, I actually liked that rap music he did about driving the car and he gets in an accident. I can't remember the name of it. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, I thought that was, you know, I'm an old guy. I liked it. I listened to it a bunch <laughs> of times. All right. But it's the words in rap music. But it's, yeah. it's, it's what's, are they portraying violence? Yes. Is it anger? Is it all anti something? Um, so it's really important because again, remember we talked about, or maybe before we went on here, we talked about water crystals and all that with the love. Well, think about you're listening to music that is all vulgar and it's angry. And then on top of that, you put a tattoo on your body that says born to lose or I hate. 
or whatever, Bob wire. I mean, hardcore stuff, right? Yeah. That's the message you labeled your body. I'm a loser. I've seen so many people with I'm a loser tattoo. That was a big tattoo for a while. And I'm going, what? Okay, so, so this immediately brings me back to that first question because we can all feel that, you know, if you surround, if you program your field with the most loving, healthful information in your surroundings, that's obviously good for your well-being. A lot of times why the new agey spiritual folks don't want to go work with veterans is because there's a lot of heavy stuff that you have to be around now. So oh, yeah. tell us about that dichotomy of oh, being fearless yeah. amidst all of that war energy, how to maintain yourself in the optimal state and not be rocked off your center so easily. Because that's what I think on some level we're all craving for. We don't want to be living in a bubble of only spiritually aware people. Like we want to be able to harmonize with the rest of the world because we know that if we want to make the world a better place, we, we can't just be living in a bubble anymore. Okay, because you brought up a big issue and because I got people out there genuinely that really want to help. But they go to veterans and veterans groups and it's like, they shut them down. They really do. It's like, I guess it's like Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I go in there and I'm, I've, I've never had drinking problems. Uh, they can listen to me versus a guy that's 30 years sober, but he was drinking pretty heavily, right? Credibility, paying your dues, been there, done that. With veterans, I go in there. And they try to come up, you know, like this big story about you know, PTSD and all that stuff. And I listen to them. I'm like, been there, done it. Don't go down that road. Come on. It's, you know, you're talking to the choir here. And I know there's another side of that. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And they have to see somebody that was in the combat, blown up, shot up, crashed, did everything else. I mean, I was a pretty heavy combat vet. It didn't change me. I made up my mind. I was still going to retain this spiritual envelope and i wasn't going to let war or others you know take that off me so yes helping veterans is a huge thing and it's my job is to try to change their attitude about the people outside of them they have to just like the you're trying to open up things doors for them they have to open up doors for non-veterans as well because there's a lot of non-veterans out there that are wanting to assist them that are very sympathetic, empathetic, but they don't fully, they don't want to get the edges because there's a lot of anger when you go to a VA hospital. There's, there's a lot of anger in the hallways and it's, so they need somebody that can put the combat boots on and walk in there in the mud and say, hey, here I am, talk. So I am trying to get like-minded people as close as I can get, like myself, from all faiths. I mean, I got two Catholic priests I got a Lutheran minister, a Methodist minister. I got uh, several Hindus. I got a Jewish uh, a gentleman that's working with me. And I got a bunch of guys that are self-ordained and everything else. I, I need a Buddhist. There you go. I, I got an opening. Uh, if you know anybody, send them my way. So, but I, I'm trying to get people, I'm trying to train people on how they can mesh together. But it takes both sides. Both have to be able to listen. And both got to take their egos and set them aside. It's a huge deal. And I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to solve it. I'll solve it for small groups of people. 
I was trying to do it one veteran at a time and then groups of veterans. And I realized that uh, the only way to really effectively change this is to train a cadre of people. And then they go out there and I got that many more fingers out there because mm -hmm. they can help people. Mm -hmm. so that's my modus operandi now. And that's why I started doing videos a couple of years ago. And that's why I'm going out and doing workshops. I'm looking for people. And then I, I said, Hey, here's dog tag. You're now, you're now unofficial or official, whatever you want to do. Your spiritual warrior, your love, go out there, help these people, you know? So can we go back to your childhood? Were you always yeah. this stable in your heart, this state of being amidst all the craziness of this world? Were you always this unshakable or did you have to learn and cultivate that over the years? Well, you know, it's interesting. I would like to say that I cultivated and I learned and I'm a, I'm a product of the process. I've actually come into this world. I was meditating as long as I can remember, two, three, four years old. I mean, and, and I come from a very, if, when you read my autobiography, you'll find that uh, very abusive relationship with parents. Parents were, you know, no, they weren't trained to be parents. They were doing the best they could do. Yes. But my stepfather was suffering from PTSD or whatever they called it back in World War II. And, uh, and him and alcohol were good friends. So it was really a rough childhood. I mean, I had gun put in my head, cocked, you know, a 357 Magnum when I was like 10 years old. And, you know, so I learned to, I learned to listen to crazy people. But I'm as calm as I am now, then. And when I went into combat, and there could be explosions and bullets whizzing by, and there were, I'm out there picking somebody up, putting them in my helicopter, whatever. I never got more excited than this. It was, I always know, always knew that I was being looked after. So I was being taken care of and looked after. There was something greater than me that was protecting me. And, um, and no matter what you do, if there's a bullet that has your name on it, you're not going to stop it. It's your time. But I knew it wasn't my time. So it's really easy to get medals and be brave when a normal, rational person would be fearful. And then in spite of being afraid, they would do it. To me, they deserve a medal. Me? I'm not afraid. I do it. Why should I get a medal? Did you have non-physical beings that guided your meditation practice? throughout your childhood so they basically were your pa real parents um yeah that's a deep subject i never talked about but in general yes um and i've had contact with some great beings since then especially in adulthood and when i've had near-death experiences or what they call ste spiritual transforming experiences yes. I mean, i've had some major major experiences and i've I've been in the presence of great ones yeah. and you know how great they are because it's all light and love. Yes. There ain't nothing else. It's just light and love, yes. but you have to have a purpose. I always had a purpose when I was growing up. It was always about others. How do they feel? What do they need? What do they want? And then I got, you know, when I start off, I, I Left high school, 24 hours after high school graduation, I got an airplane in Oakland and flew to, to Honolulu because I had to go there. Medicahuna was really interesting. But I had 30, 30 or $40 in my pocket, one-way ticket. That's, that's got a lot of gumption, right? It, it wasn't that cheap in 1964, trust me. 
And then I hitchhiked across the United States. I went to Europe. Went all around Europe, everywhere. Ran out of money in Europe. And when I ran out of money, I never skipped a meal. Everybody fed me. Everybody took me in. Everybody took care of me because I knew they would. I, had a, I have two rules. Never beg. Never ask for anything. Don't ask God. Don't ask people. If you ask for stuff, then you have no faith. It's like, what do you mean? How come you don't ask for healing? How come you don't ask for Why? The birds don't have to pray to get food, water, right? God knows you're sick, and he also knows the reason why. Don't tell him what. If I pray for something, I pray for wisdom, strength to handle what happens to me. I even pray, don't change my circumstances. Don't take away what I got to face. Just give me the courage and the strength, the energy to handle it. That's all. Don't take away my pain even. Not seeking it. Most people, they can't stand pain. Oh, my God, it's painful. Can't go to the dentist. I, I used to go to the dentist. I didn't have that many, but I'd, I'd go there and I'd sit on the chair and i said, say, it's cavity drill. And the guy, well, I'll give you no, I, no, no shots, no Novocaine. I'm just going to drill it. When I was younger, I'd sit there and the guy'd drill it. And the dentist would be doing all these spaces. You know, he, he knows he's in the nerve, and i just sit there, right? Now, in my old age, I go, ah, I don't have to be so macho anymore. But <laughs> I, I broke a tooth in half, and I had a friend in San Jose. He, he was talking to me, sticking his fingers in my mouth. And next thing I know, he had actually injected me. I didn't even know he injected me. It was the gentlest dentist I ever had, a guy named Dave. To me, pain is a teacher. So when pain comes, listen to it. You're in class. Pain comes to you as a gift, unwrap it. What is it you're going to learn? It's like I remember I gave that talk someplace and somebody came up to me and says, well, that's good for easy for you to say, but I got stage four, some kind of cancer, right? And I go, how long, how long did they tell you? Well, they told me six months. I said, well, first off, if you believe that, then you got six months, number one. That's going to happen. You, you believe it. You're manifesting it. I said, number two, what a gift. Now you know you got an ending in sight. Now you can fix the relationships you have with your son you hadn't talked to in 10 years. You can fix uh, the, the boss that you got mad at once. You can forgive. You can talk to your parents. You could, I mean, there's a lot of relation stuff you can do. There's good things you always wanted to do and say to people, do it. You got six months to make amends, to say goodbye, the, the, the ultimate farewell tour. Instead of the guy just waking up one day and boom, on the freeway he gets killed out of the blue. He didn't have a chance to do anything. So if you know you got a, a terminal disease, that's a blessing. Oh, you got so long. Okay, I got so much time. I can do all the, I got my, I got my, my list, right? What do they call it? The bucket list, right? So you got a bucket list. Let's go out and do it. So yeah, uh, pain is our friend. And so I watched Yogaraj uh, Gurnoff, um, my guru, and he, I've been around him for several months. That I used to go over to India and uh, three, four months at a time. And he always give sound like the same advice. People he'd spend a lot of time with people, you know, and he'd listen. And one day I just go, when everybody's going, I said, okay, I know you added wordage, you did this, you did this. I said, but ultimately he only really gave two pieces of advice. And he just goes, I said, basically you told him, meditate more, do more Kriya. And it's your karma, deal with it. But you did it in a nice way, right? But then basically you're telling them, it's your, it's your stuff, man. Deal with it. You earned it, right? Deal with it. Face it. Embrace it. 
And that's, I've kind of followed that philosophy because that's, I identify with that. And it's like, no, seriously, things happen to you in your life when you're young. And if you read my books, you'll find that a lot of stuff happens in my life. When I was in Vietnam, I was blown up. I was in numerous helicopter crashes and explosions and shot and, uh, uh, I mean, just brutal stuff. I've fallen off my two-story house twice, fell on the cement driveway and everything, you know, from two stories up, landing flat on my back. Not an injury. But it's all in how you look at everything that happens. Three near-death experiences, 12 major heart attacks. I've had a major heart attack in Bolivia on the island of uh, uh, Island of the, the Moon, whatever that's called, Luna. Luna, whatever it is, the island of the moon, the Lake Titicaca. Mm -hmm. And then I had one at uh, Machu Picchu in uh, Peru. And then I had a heart attack uh, in Germany. And then I had a heart attack in India, two major heart attacks in India. And then a bunch here in America. But always, I never looked at it as a curse. I said, oh, okay, we're going down someplace deep because I had near-death experiences out of them. I had spiritual things happen. I met neat people, gave me great stories. It also gave me a sense of urgency. I can't sit around and wait for things to unfold. It's my job to unfold them. I mean, you only got so many grains of sand in the hourglass, each of us. Mm -hmm. You and I both have someplace stamped on our forehead, our soul someplace, like a milk carton best used by or expired by, right? It's got a date. Now, I may take care of my health and I'm doing a good job now. And that makes it better so I can do more. I, I do have to say, you look younger and brighter and shinier than any of the videos of you that I've watched. Like you're reverse aging, you're youthing. Something like yeah. that's happening. And, and, and when I went to India in uh, 2009, I went to a, my guru, he said, B, go get your naughty palm reading done. I had no clue what he was talking about. What year was this? I think it was 10, 9 or 10. 2009 10 10. Oh, okay. Got it. I can look it up. I think it was. 2009, 2010. So about a decade ago. Yeah, about a decade ago. And so I, 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 I'm thinking of palm reading. He's reading my palm, which was, wasn't no. He was talking about a palm leaf. I didn't know that. Naughties, I'm thinking, I was a naughty boy, or is it naughty, you know, points of energy, you know, when I get my acupuncture or something? Right. I had no clue what any of that was. And so, and then I said, what is that? And so he explained to me what a naughty palm was. These guys, 2,500 years to 5,000 years ago, these great rishis, uh, enlightened masters of some kind, these guys channeled information about people coming in the future. And if you were one of these people, then they had a chart for you. And they would channel this information down and the scribe would carve it onto a block of a, a, a palm leaf. You know, they take the prom, froms off it and just the chunk of wood and it had all the stuff for that person. And I'm listening to this and I'm going, oh, that's really great, right? 2,500, 5,000 years ago and, and they, they got something for me today. Okay, great. And I said, well, how how do they got these filed? Are they in a filing drawer? What's, 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 you know, he says, oh, no, no, it's filed by your thumbprint. You know, it's a right thumbprint if you're a man, left thumbprint if you're a woman. And I'm going, yeah, okay, I'm already a little like, 
okay. And he says, no, no, no. He says, no, really. That's how he says, he says, it's like you're, you know, like he says, he's trying to explain to me. He says, you know, like in astrology, you got 12 signs. Zodiac, right? And I go, yeah, okay. You got a Pisces and an Aries. He says, well, you got 108 different, you know, wrinkles and indentations and squirrels and stuff. You got like 108 different categories. I said, okay. So if you got a couple million people, they still ain't divided by 108. They're still, he said, no, no, go down there. Trust me. He says, trust me that they got a reading there for you. And I said, well, is that where all the readings are at, all the pomlies? He says, oh, no, no, they spread them all around the country. They used to be in one location. And then there was a fire, burned some, and they were afraid that they, they were going to lose them all. So they spread them out across India. And there's like, they're not exactly sure. There may be 10, 12, 15, I've heard 19 different places. Everybody you talk to says a different number. But multiple places in India, I went to Pune. But you can go to Delhi, you can go to Mumbai, you can go. So they got these little places and they got these things there. So you walk in, I give a thumbprint and I told my friends with me, I said, don't tell them anything about me. Don't mention my name, I'm married, nothing, right? Because I'm thinking this thing's like a, a mentalist act in Las Vegas. You know, they, I mean, because I, I can read people like that. Cold readings are so easy. I mean, it's really easy to read people. So I'm thinking that's what they're gonna do, right? So, so about an hour goes by after they take my thumbprint. And on my thumbprint, I just wrote, B, because I said, oh, I put W. Put something on there so they know it was you. I put W for William, but I never go by William. Never. Only my mother, when she was mad at me, or a couple of friends when they're mad at me, they William, you know, the teacher, right, William? So you know you're in trouble. But so I'm called into this room, and it's a little room about the size of this room I'm in now, about the size of a den or a little bedroom. Mm -hmm. And there's about Okay, I'm Irish, I exaggerate. There's a zillion candles burning, two million incense going. I mean, it's like sm smoke everywhere with all, all the different flavors. And they didn't miss a bet on it, all the gods. They got them all covered. They got Jesus up there. They got Mary up there. They got St. Francis. And then they got Buddha, the laughing Buddha, the sitting Buddha with the big stomach. They got the laying down Buddha. They got all the Buddhas. They got Krishnas. They got the, the elephant god guy. They got all, all the gods that they ever had. There must be... 75 or 100 different statues. I mean, they got all the religions. It's all covered. And I'm looking at this kind of going, okay, fine. This could be interesting. So a guy comes in and he's carrying what looks like uh, a stack, like a small stack of a Venetian blind. What it is is these little pieces of uh, the wood, the, the palm leaf, with a hole drilled through it with a cord. And then you, you look at it. So he goes, so he says, well, your fingerprint, I think you're in this stack. And it looked like there was about 15 or 20 in the stack. I couldn't remember exactly. And he, he went through the first seven. He says, now, when I ask you a question, only answer yes or no. And that's all I was going to do anyway. So, yeah, I wasn't going to give any information. Like, no, you're close, maybe. No, nothing. I said, okay. So the first seven, no. But uh, kind of close. But after a couple of questions, we go, no. So he gets the seventh, seventh leaf, and he goes, this one. He says, I know intuitively. This is yours. I'm going, yeah, okay. Yeah, try me. Do you know anything about these guys that are doing the, reading the palm leaves? What I do now. Not then, no. No, then I didn't know where they were. Some, this, this is their life. They study this thing. This is their, you know, they're into all this naughty astrology. They're astrologers and everything. And, and, there's, and there's a lot of fake ones out there, too. Trust me on that. There's, there's some fakes. Okay. And there's some real ones. That's why 
when you get them done over the internet, it's kind of dangerous because they need some information. You know, you don't give them anything. If you don't give them anything, make them just do cold. It has to be cold. Right. I didn't tell him nothing. So he goes, he says, uh, look to the thing and he says, your name is four letters long. I'm thinking, okay, I go by Bill. B-I-L-L. Okay. And he says, it starts with B. I said, okay, that's a good guess. And he goes, it's B or B and he spells it out. I go, okay. And then he goes, and your father's name was, meaning he's dead, was, and he was dead at that time, died in 1973. So he goes, and your father's name was exactly the same as yours. I'm junior. So it was exactly the same, right? William Hector McDonald Jr. and senior. So then he goes, so I had my attention. I'm going, that's pretty good guesswork. Maybe he went to a computer, did a, maybe, maybe they did a search on me or something. I don't know. So then he goes, and your mother's name was, and he looks down on this thing and it's carved in English letters, which is odd because 2,500, 5,000 years ago, what were they doing in English letters? Right? It says Marcella. And he spells it out because he has trouble pronouncing it. And I go, yeah, that was her name, Marcella. I mean, that's a darn good guess. Not a normal name off the top of your head. Right. And so, and, uh, and then he goes, and your two children, two children, you got a boy, and then you got a girl. I go, yeah. And then he gave a bunch of information about them and everything. And, and he goes, and your birthday is March 16th, 1946. I'm going, Okay, but then the guy goes, however, we're confused about what time it was. We're, we don't know if it was like 1.10 in the morning or 1.25 in the morning. For some reason, we're confused by this. What they didn't know when I was born, uh, I, was, I was born when the doctor wasn't there. In fact, they were giving my mother an enema, and I... And she gave birth into the bedpan, and I was sitting there with my head in the bedpan, right? <laughs> the ultimate silver spoon. All right. So, but they didn't know that story. They didn't know that the nurse there and went to get the doctor so the doctors get paid for the delivery, right? You know, I don't know what the deal was back in the 1940s, but there seemed to be a big concern about that. So uh, there I was. So the doctors come in, and they there was this big guessing game, was it? So they guessed at 110 or what they come up with the number, but it was a guess. So they didn't know the naughty palm readers didn't know either, which was like, wow, they got, they both in the same time frame, but like neither one knew it. So that was kind of an interesting little insight. So anyway, so they gave 40 questions and there was only a couple that, I, and then he goes, says, we don't have a word for it and we're not sure about here, but but in America, you have something like a foster child or something. You were not, you're not with your, at least one of your parents. And at one time, you're not with both your parents for a period of time. And I go, yes. I was a ward of the court. I was uh, spending about a year in a hospital, county hospital. Nobody. I mean, it was just, just me, basically. And uh, so they went through, and then he goes, and you're going to write a book. He says, oh, you write books, nonfiction books. And I go, yeah. And he says, you're supposed to write a book about your guru, your present guru, and Lord Shiva. I go, oh, okay. So I didn't know if that was a question or not. I just said, okay. But I was working on a book that ultimately 
ended up to be this book because the next chapters after that visit there, that's where it went, right? Mm. So six hours later, after, I was getting ready to pay the guy for that. I go, you know, here's the money, right? And he goes, no, 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 no. That was just the index card. Now we know who we are. Now we'll go get your charts. Six hours later, they got these charts and my guru had these questions he wanted me to ask them. You know, like, wanted to go back into a previous lifetime, not necessarily the last one, but a significant one that would tie things in today so I'd understand some of the things that were happening today and the relationship with the guru and all that. And from that life, my worst ever sin that I committed. I'm going, holy cow. Because some of the people coming out were crying, you know, and upset because they found out they chopped somebody's head off or burned them alive, somebody, or they, they were mean and, you know, cheated people. And so I'm going, wow, man, I, I don't feel like I did any of that. But so we go up there and he starts the reading off and he tells me from birth to me walking in the door. Now that I know was right on because there's no make believe. Boom, 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 boom. You're here, boom, you're doing this. You're working. I'm going, wow, he got the present. All to the present, good. Now, when you go to a past life, you don't really know if it's a sham, it's a good story. You can't guarantee it. So anyway, so so you go into a past life, and when somebody you know tries to read your past life, who's right? Who knows if they're wrong? Who knows if everybody's just delusional? So I never go with any of that. But basically, the past life reading showed me that I was a I was a senior monk at an ashram in what's now Sri Lanka. For my present day guru, and why in that state there being celibate and everything, my worst sin was a thought. And I'm going, what? A thought? He says, yeah. According to the reading, I fell in love with some woman. I wasn't going to do anything about it, but I had emotional feelings. And that was enough to have the guru put a curse on my brain, kick me out. And, and I go, what? For that? Anyway, so I ended up that lifetime, according to the reading, uh, the last moments of my life were spent bathing in the Ganges River. And then when I come up out of the Ganges, there's a blaze of light, and there's Lord Shiva. And you can't see Lord Shiva unless you're dead or dying, right? And then whoosh, I leave in a rainbow body with Lord Shiva. And, uh, and according to the reading, that's how I've left every lifetime they could go back and look at. So... That could all be nice fairy tale. It's beautiful to tell. It's interesting, but I am who I am now, Reverend Bill McDonald. I got this lifetime. I focus on this. I put both my shoes on like everybody else. So come on, who knows about any of that? But the guy stops and he says, now to tell you how that ties in, he says, what's the first thing the guru that you met did for you when you met him? Well, within about 90 minutes of meeting him in Berkeley of all places, I was having epileptic brain seizures and I had like 260 or 280 from January to August when I walked in there I mean doctors were telling me these things could become lethal you know you have any more it could kill you so I walked in I met the guru we spent a half hour with him having a great conversation hugged me and everything I never mentioned any illnesses never mentioned anything being wrong with me and then for the satsang uh sitting there I'm in the audience in the middle of his talk, he stops, he starts looking at me, and he goes, I'm sending healing energy for the brain, not world peace, cure cancer, nothing else. And he's looking right at me. Healing energy 
for the brain. And he says it like two, three times. I'm sitting there, my brain's kind of tingling. That was August, I think it was August 16th or August 18th of 2008. Remember, I had 200 and some seizures a year. Not one, since then. Not one. That's huge, right? So that's what the guru, you know, so the reader says, he put a curse on your mind. And he did what he mentioned. He demonstrate to you that whole thing was just a lesson. It was not about anything else. But anyway, so then he tells me my future, and which is really interesting. I don't know if you want to go down that road, but it was uh, some really amazing. Okay, we can go down that road. Yes, please. So, so he made all these predictions about meeting. He said, you've been meeting Lord Shiva in different disguises, like meeting Babaji. Uh, but you have not had the energy or the vibration to recognize. But you, you've been with them, right? But you don't. But that's no longer from this point forward. You will meet them and see them and you will know them. And then he goes, and then you're going to go in so many years, you're going to take a journey. Southern India, you're going to go to this temple, the Shiva temple. They named it. And it's sitting on in a little valley area, and you're going to walk uphill for two, two to four hours. You're going to walk up this hill. And when you get to this top, they're sitting in this little meadow, these trees, and on stumps and rocks are the great rishis. All the enlightened masters, they'll be there for you. They know you. They'll be waiting for you. And you will not have to ask them any questions because you'll have all the answers already within yourself. And he went on about it. And I said, yeah, okay, great. You know, and then he goes, and then one day you're going to be sitting around and water and oil from Lord Shiva, from Babaji is going to be poured on you and you'll be blessed. And I know, yeah, okay. And a whole bunch of other stuff happened. Made all these predictions. 95% of all the predictions made have happened. Let's take the one with going uphill, right? Meeting the Rishis. I'm, I'm an Indian, 2011. I'm introducing Gurnoff in Mumbai and Pune and all these, all, these, all these stadiums and auditoriums and stuff. And, and this one amphitheater, uh, I'm up high. He's down there doing a sunrise Surya service, teaching people how to get energy from the sun. Kind of like you do with your wellness group. You, know, you get the energy of the sunshine and all that. It's great healing power. Everybody's standing up. I'm in the back row. You can't, you can't even see me. And, of course, being in India, I collapse. I'm having a major heart attack. And I'm laying down, and, and not one person stops paying attention to the guru. I'm down there going, ah, and I'm, 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 in, I'm dying, right? And everybody's just, you know, they're blissed out, you know, with the guru. I'm down there dying, laying at their feet, and not one person. So pretty soon the guru stops. And he tells, I want everybody to close their eyes. I want everybody to visualize the energy from the sun, the healing energy from the sun coming down and penetrating the heart chakra. We're going to heal the heart chakra. And he went through this half hour repeating himself, visualizing this healing light and energy going into the heart, healing the heart, just repetitively. Everybody's going, nobody ever heard that. It's not what he was teaching them, but he taught them that, right? And I just kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger through soon. I'm standing up, right? So it's over. Everybody sits down, and then he looks up in the stadium, and he goes, be you. So he calls me down, and I'm walking across the, 
the, the little platform he's on. And he goes, Beetle, how many times have I got to save your butt? I go, <laughs> she dismisses me. Anyway, but his wife goes, no, Gornoff, he's got to go home. He's had a major heart attack, right? So they sent me to the ER and everything. They're all going, yeah, you should go home. He needs, a, he needs surgery. He had major. So my last day at the ashram, I'm sitting there. There's a whole bunch of people in the room. And I feel somebody looking at me. And you know that, but you're in the movie theater, somebody start, um, and I look back there, and there's Sivar Teshwar, who is the guru of Paramahansa Yogananda. White hair, white beard, earrings. I mean, yeah. And I see him standing there, it's like this, and he's got his hands behind him. I'm just enjoying this. And I'm thinking, well, I'm close to death. Maybe this is hallucination. Maybe this is. The I'll just pause for a second for anybody that hasn't read Autobiography of a Yogi. Yeah. Um, this might pique your interest to read that epically beautiful book you've got to read autobiography of a yogi at least once if not 20 100 times during this lifetime amen that's been that's been my bible so i look around the room and there's like five people there and there's this woman and some other person and they're into the yoga exercises and everything they, they started meditating but not really deep into the heavy stuff and and uh i said to both of them, and you see anything, you know? And they look at me like I was crazy, like, no, it's nothing there, you know? And then this guy from Texas, um, he goes, Bill, he says, I see a ball of light there. You know, it's just energy. And I'm feeling this great love. And I go, yes. And then there was this lawyer guy, Brian, young guy at the time. And, he, and I go, Brian, do you see anything? He says, you ain't going to believe this, Bill. He says, but I said, no, try me. He says, I see Sivar Teshwar standing there with his hands behind his back, just the way Gurunov does when he's talking to you. And I said, yes, Brian. Which I've talked about this in the past, which actually is the, the whole thing about you can have an experience, but it's based on your energy and your receptivity. It's like FM and AM music is coming into your house, right? But if you don't have an AM radio, or an FM radio, you're not going to get the signals. It's there. It's, but you need to be able to receive. So these people that believed to their level of belief saw something, saw the energy, felt the love. The other guy saw what I saw, which was a blessing because it basically validated what I saw. And when you give an experience like that, to have somebody validated outside of yourself is always the ultimate thing, especially if you're like me, tell a lot of stories. People go, yeah, sure. And I go, no, talk to these two guys that were there, right? And uh, so when Christopher Columbus sailed into the New World, you know the story, right? They sailed in the harbor with three big ships. The Indians never saw those before. They didn't believe it was possible. They didn't see the ships because their mind wouldn't accept it. Right. I think it's the same thing with people. Children see things. They see ghosts. They see angels. They talk to the dead. When they come into life, you should record those first experiences because they'll say things about their past life. They'll say things. They're fresh out of the oven. They're, they're just out of, out, they're just coming down the slide, right? There they are, through the tunnel. It's all, it's all fresh memories. And uh, so I come back to America, and of course I collapse on the airplane coming back at the Denver airport, customs, six hours with paramedics. I eventually get back, and they let me, your doctor, they let me back on the airplane after six hours after having a collapse at the airport in Denver to fly two hours to Sacramento. 
I mean, you know, I got blood clot, right? I mean, it's like, come on. So anyway, but I'm going, what's wrong with these people? Even I'm smarter than that. But no, you'll be okay. I said, okay. So I get back and put in the hospital. I have the surgery. Now I'm having quadruple bypass where they're going to rip open my chest. They're going to stop my heart. They put ice or cold. I don't know. They did something. Made it cold, something. Somehow they stopped it. I didn't ask a lot of details on that, but I asked, am I going to feel anything? He says, well, you know, when you're on the heart and lung machine, I go, what do you mean heart and lung machine? So they stop my heart. They stop my lungs. Doctor tells me that I may feel something because they give less anesthesia when you're on this machine. They can't give you too much because, you know, you're, they just hold you there. I said, okay. So I lay down there naked on this metal table. And uh, I don't remember much, but I know they, they're cutting and everything. But I'm counting backwards from 100, and I get to, I don't know, 98 or 7. I'm out. But it's immediately, I'm out. I mean, I look around, and I'm not naked. I've got clothes on because I always have experiences that are G-rated. <laughs> so I didn't. <laughs> I, I'm transported to that temple that I was talking about that was predicted I was going to go to in India. I'm there standing outside looking at this temple thinking, and I can't read any Indian words or nothing, but intuitively I know, oh, this is the Shiva temple they were talking about. There's the hill. I mean, I got nothing better to do. I got six, eight hours on this operating table. I might as well go for a walk. Okay, pause for a second, please. You yeah. experience yourself in a whole different physical body. Yes. It's, not, physical. it's not a visual experience it's a whole body physical experience absolutely it's 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 not a vision it's actual physical body i'm interacting people see me i'm walking around so it's like and i'm actually walking i'm getting you know walking uphill um, so can i just use the term you bilocated you manifested so. a yeah, I think so. physical body yeah I, I would say i was a that would be a, a good explanation because I was not there on the table. I was there. And I was performing and acting with the crowd and, you know, going up the hill and actually participating in life in India. I mean, I could feel the heat of the sun and everything else. I mean, flesh and blood. So I walk up the hill for a period of time, two and four hours, and I'm feeling these pushing stuff on my body and stuff like stuff's going on and they're cutting and doing stuff. But I, I just keep walking. And pretty soon I get to the top of the hill and I look over there and I'm going, of course, there they are sitting on stumps, logs, rocks, the rishis, you know, with the funny hair and all that crazy stuff, you know, and, and I'm going, of course, there they are waiting for me, right? And a part of me realized now, looking back and even then, that when I was predicted to make this journey, it didn't necessarily be a journey where I was going to get on an airplane, take a train. This was truly an experience, but it's actually in the body. So it was, I kept waiting to, to take a travel, you know, to travel there, but no, this was there. And so I look over there and then standing in the corner is my guru, his hands folded. He's with all these guys. I'm going, he's with all these rishis. And so I don't ask any questions. And I'm just kind of looking there and my guru tells me, he says, Bill. Don't give up heart. You can skip a few beats, but don't give up heart. I said, yeah, okay. But 
you know, there's a part of me that, that I'm not certain. I'm not, I don't really have a great feelings about going back to my body, to be honest with you. I'm kind of like, you know, I'm married. I got kids, grandkids, but it was like, I, I, I kind of felt like, you know, I kind of did things. I've, I've done things, you know, I, I, you know, and I'm in a lot of pain lately and I'm very sick lately. And, and then this beautiful light opens up. I mean, just beautiful light. And this voice just vibrates from this light. Angelic voice, feminine. I'm assuming it was, a, if there's such thing as a woman and a man on the other side, uh, sexless, but it sounds like a woman. It's divine, sweet, feminine. Mm-hmm. Says, Bill, stop breathing. Just let it go. You don't owe anybody anything more. You've done enough. You've helped. You've achieved. You've done all you were supposed to do. Just let it go. And I will give you bliss and peace and joy and comfort beyond your imagination and love. And I'm going, wow, that's a good deal, man. So I'm thinking about that. I'm going, yeah, okay. And then the guru comes back and goes, Bill, I want you to come back for more pain and suffering. I go, Gordon, what kind of sales pitch is that? I mean, that's, you're never going to sell me anything that way. You're not going to sell too many used cars telling people you're going to get pain and suffering. Pain and suffering, you got. You got more you got to do. You got Dharma. This is your job. You're a warrior. You got to come back. And I go, why? And then he kind of does this. And behind him, this whole panorama, the sky and everything, is all these faces. It's just for them. And it's people that I'm actually meeting on the internet when I go give talks. I've run into these people since 2011. It's like, well, some people was just to hear their story and give them a hug. Some people it's teach them something. Some people it's just give my book to. Some people just give hope, teach them about love. But everybody, there was connections. And I was basically told, you know, if you're not here, they're going to miss a piece of the puzzle. It's your duty. Paid your dues. That's all right. You got nothing to do with dues. Now you got the real hardcore. You got to come back. And he says, and before, every time you had pain, like getting the teeth done, right? <laughs> when you had pain, you were blissed out. You could undo it. We're taking that away. Now you'll feel every ache and pain. There's no way you can help somebody else understand their pain unless you have pain as well. How could you tell them, oh, it's only pain, you know, just get it out of your mind. You have to learn how to get it out of your own mind. So, and I'm going, you, got, you ain't selling me on this, right? So this battle goes on. Next thing you know, I'm sitting there, it's about six or eight hours, I have no clue. All of a sudden, it's like, clear, my body kind of goes, and next thing I know, I'm sitting, I'm laying on that table. And people are poking me, and my heart is beating again. I'm alive, and I'm feeling a lot of pain, because I'm not that medicated. And uh, and then a couple hours later, I'm, I'm in a recovery room, and I got... You know, the, down the throat and the eyes. I don't know why they do that. My eyes were taped shut. Is that weird? Is that normal? They had my eyes taped shut for some reason. And uh, so I'm sitting there thinking, what's going on? But every time for the next 10 days, which is a long, quadruple bypass, I was in the hospital four days before they operated because it stabilized me. And then I was there over two weeks afterwards. That's a long time nowadays. Normally it's four days, you're out, you're home. You know, they don't fool around. Mm-hmm. 
and I had five blood transfusions. But every time I went to sleep, I closed my eyes, I was back on the hill. I made multiple trips to the hill. And the same scene over and over again with the guru going, you could skip a few beats, you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but don't give up heart. And I'm going, what is this? And every time was, no, I like what she was saying. I'm ready. I'm ready, right? And so about the 10th day, I get up. I'm getting carted away about 11 o'clock at 1130 at night. And the bedside phone rings as I'm on a gurney going down for some more blood transfusions. And I said, I, I got to answer that phone. I got to answer that phone. Gotta, no, no, no. We got emergency. You got to go. I said, no, no. Got to answer that phone. So I pick it up and they're all kind of impatient with me. And the phone goes, this is Gornoff from India. And I go, yeah, Gornoff. I know a lot of Gornoffs. Okay. That narrows it down. <laughs> Gornoff from India, right? He says, he says, now listen to me. Don't give up heart. You can skip a few beats, but don't give up heart. I'm going, that's what he's been telling me for 10 days, right? Same exact words, right? And then he goes, because he knows I'm ready to give up, right? And so he pulls out the ace. The ace is I'm very loyal and I'm, and I'm dutiful, right? So the guru says, you know, I just told over 100 people here that I'm going to heal you. We wouldn't want to be disappointed, right? Uh, in other words, you ain't gonna make the guru a liar, right? I go, ah. Uh, he says, all right. That was it. That was the call, right? And I'm going. So I told my wife, I said, I'm gonna be out here in 36 hours. She and the doctor. And I was. I was out there in 36 hours. But it was the fact that if I died, my guru would have been shamed and embarrassed. He just guaranteed that I was gonna be okay. He just told all these people he was gonna heal me. That would have been really impolite of me to die on him. So it wasn't anything else bring me back but that. That's a crazy story, but that's, I have to be honest. It wasn't like, well, you came back for your family. You came back for your grandchildren. You came back for help these people. No, I came back because I didn't want to embarrass my guru. And let me know it was my duty to come back. It was my duty to do these things. And no more relief from pain, full pain. And that was no lie. That's why the last time I went to the dentist, uh, uh, I, I didn't ask for no shots, but it was, it was nice that Dave gave me shots because it was, I, I probably would have felt everything. So the next day, I'm laying in, the, remember the other prediction about pouring oil and, and water on my head. The next day, I'm sitting there in the hospital bed, and I look up, and there's this dome, crystal dome of light, like somebody took a fruit bowl, turned it upside down, glass, right? and put it over the bed. And there's all this energy. And at the end of the bed is, for those who read Autobiography of Yogi, Babaji. He's got no shirt on. Yeah. No shirt. No shirt. Long hair, but he's got Levi's on. Come on, this is America, right? So my Babaji's got, he's got a pair of pants on, jeans. He's barefoot. And he's pouring oil and water or something on my head. And he's touching my spiritual eye. You know, he's kind of doing his thing. And, uh, and he's uh, chanting some language. And I'm going, wow, if you can have a vision, a delusion, if you're crazy, this is the best way to go. I'm enjoying this, right? So I thought nobody saw it. Okay, I won't say anything. 
I'm home from the hospital a couple of days later, and my daughter comes over and she goes, Dad, David came, went over and saw you this another David. And and I said, No, I didn't. He says, Yeah, yeah, he was there the your, your day before he left the hospital. I said, No. He said, No. She told me, No, he came into the room and you were laying on the bed, and you had this crazy Indian, young Indian guy with no shirt on, barefoot, long hair, pouring stuff on your head, chanting some crazy language. And he thought it was really funny, but he didn't want to disturb you, so he left. So I told my daughter, she goes, oh. See, here's a guy I didn't believe. He saw it. He still has no idea to this day of what he saw. And so that was another prediction. But it's been prediction after prediction after prediction. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, in the prediction, one of the predictions was, this is when you're going to die. They said, we normally don't tell people that. You know, but you you're on the short end of this thing there's only so much i mean you're, this is short right this is now this is what 10 years now right so it's a short end and some people have some flexibility of willpower like if we tell a young person that they're going to die of you know lung disease they'll stop smoking you know they'll, they'll exercise they'll change the diet and then they could perhaps change their alternate future no that's not the case but here's when you're going and you're going to leave in a, a rainbow body and you're out of here and so I was given a time frame. Uh, the only chance of changing that basically was if Lord Shiva, the form of Babaji or your guru, decides that your work is needed still, not for you, for family, for doing stuff, but the work of spreading love and Kriya Yoga, if you're needed for that and that's determined by them, then you maybe get an extension. Hey guys, I hate to leave you on a cliffhanger like this, but this conversation was so awesome, so rich, so beautiful, we had to break it up into two parts. So we'll be back next week with more of Reverend Bill's fascinating stories. See you then! Hi friends! Did you love that interview? If you did, please leave a review and share with all your friends so that many more people can benefit from these game-changing insights. You can also go onto our website, DrEdithUbuntu.com, and subscribe to our newsletter, where you'll receive free trainings and next-level ninja tools that we only share on our newsletter. Together, let's turn your life into a brilliant masterpiece.